Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. Very beautifully done, and what a wonderful song about our Savior, and I thank the Lord for that tonight, and I know Mom and Dad, that means a lot to them. Let's pray for our children and our church family. Let's love them. Let's encourage them. Let's pray for moms and dads. Uh, Let's do everything that we can to make the most of these days. But I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want you to follow along because it's a theme that the Lord has brought to my attention from the Scriptures that I trust will help you and be a challenge to you. There are great needs before us, but there are great opportunities. That's what the needs represent, someone to step up to address them, someone to help with them. Paul put Titus in Crete to set the things in order that are wanting. It's so easy to look at things that are out of place and fail to realize that, hey, God put me here to help put it in place. It's so easy to look at the things that are broken or wanting and not even realize that, hey, that's why I'm here to help make this better. You see, that's the heart of a faithful person, a loyal, devoted spirit toward God and toward His work. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you find that God was giving instructions to the church here concerning the order of the Lord's Supper. And uh, not only order in the church, but order in the remembrance of who Christ is and what He's done for us. Uh, There was such certain disorder that was taking place, and that was rebuked and called into account. And then you come to 1 Corinthians 11, and you read this thing that really, if we're not careful, we can miss this theme in verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Underline this, the same night in which he was betrayed. He was about to be betrayed, and yet he continued to do the will of the Father. It didn't stop him. It didn't cause him to step aside and say, well, I don't know about this. Is this worth it? No. He just did what the Father commanded him to do the same night in which he was betrayed. The word betrayed means to not be loyal. Often by doing something harmful, such as working against, undermining, subverting another, or maybe helping one's adversary. The thought is to surrender, to subvert, to give up on and to give over to, to undermine and work against. Lamentations 3 verse 36, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. The word subvert means to rest or wrestle with, to undermine, to work against, to wrangle with. To subvert a man that is called the Lord approveth not. The Lord doesn't see it that way is the thought. The word is to see. 
God doesn't see it like that. God has a different take on it. God's not in that. God is not party to that. He's not a part of that. The Lord doesn't approve that. That's not of God. Now, we want to be of God, right? We want everything we do to be pleasing to God, to come out of the vision of God that we get from His Word. But as we think about this, the Bible talks about this one who is working against our Lord to try to undermine Him. Now we know ultimately God is sovereign, and those who think they're working against God are working with God, because God is in control. And and, uh, we think about all that people do in defiance of God, which so many times as you read different testimonies and stories, actually play into the very hand of God. But look with me back in Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. It's a powerful statement here. And I pray that this will help us tonight, really, because we're entering into a new school year. There's a need for us to have a love for God, a love for each other, but a loyalty to God, a loyalty to each other. Loyalty says that we love each other enough to communicate, to work through difficulties, disappointments, disagreements. There's nothing that we can't work through if we're dealing with each other in good faith. Whatever the challenge is, and there will be challenges, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Disagreements, just uh, things where there are breakdowns, there are miscommunications, there are misunderstandings. Now, that's just the natural part of living in a fallen world. But where it really takes a different dimension and depth is when that is something that is done intentional to undermine, to uh, just pull the wool over someone's eyes, to be deceptive, to work against or to try to work around and to uh, ignore instruction or direction. As you get to Matthew 26, they were here and as they partook of this great feast, the Bible says Jesus spoke in verse 21, Verily or truly I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say, Lord, is it I? The thought there with that phrase is, Lord, it's not me, is it? It's not me. Surely not me. They were already afraid of what they were facing and the uncertainty of their future without him. And and he was headed ultimately to Calvary and would be crucified. What is all that going to entail? And what's going to happen not only to him, but what's going to happen to them? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Think it interesting. All the other disciples were just shocked. They were taken back. And it's like right away, it's not me, is it, Lord? And then one, Judas, at the end, after everyone had said something, it's almost like, well, aren't you going to chime in? I mean... You're with us in this thing. He said, Master, is it I? Thou hast said. Think about it. Yes, is the thought there. Thou hast said. 
There are a lot of people who have a heart for God, and, and it would hurt them in their heart to think that they were betraying the Lord. Lord, please help me not to betray you. Help me not to dishonor you, Lord, please. But there are some people that just, if it would advantage them, advance their thought, their desire, their will, they wouldn't think that much about it. It should bother us when we dishonor the Lord. If we can dishonor the Lord in the name of getting our way or building ourselves up by tearing others down or his work down that he's established, you know, that should bother us. And if we don't, it should bother us that it doesn't bother us. We have to come to that place to where it's like, what bothers you? There are things going on in our world that should concern us. There are things that should bother us, but they don't. There are things that shouldn't bother us that God is doing or opportunities that God is giving, but it bothers us. It's amazing how people get bothered by things oftentimes at the expense of seeing what God is doing. It's not that we can't be bothered in a right way or a good way to work on something, to develop something, or to see something that needs to be addressed, but that should be our heart. See, it's good faith. Well, what do we need to do to address this? Versus like, well, no, this is just a fault. And I'll just keep that in my heart, and rather than trying to address that or make that better, I'll just kind of let that be my justification to not fully commit. We've got to be careful there. To subvert a man, to undermine, to work against someone in the cause that God has established, that God has presented, the Lord's not in that. The same night he was betrayed, think of this, he instituted the Lord's Supper. Remember me, my body that was broken, my blood that was shed. Look with me over in Psalm 41. Psalm 41. If you'll remember this, David was expressing the dismay of betrayal. Psalm 41 is believed that he's speaking of Ahithophel here. And he says, and, and this is a messianic psalm, by the way, this is a preview, a prophecy of what Christ will face. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. He speaks here of this subversion, this betrayal. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I might requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. What he's saying here is that God has established me, God has raised me up, God will sustain me, and one way that I know God has ordained me and God will sustain me is because ultimately those who are working against me will not prevail. God will prevail. So he says, as for me, verse 12, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. He said, now Lord, my heart is pure before you. If there's anything amiss, I'm willing for you to show me that so it can be corrected. And that should be all of our spirit. If I'm wrong, Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me, show me, help me to see it. But I don't want to knowingly be wrong in my heart and somehow excuse that or justify that, 
or somehow think that, well, it's okay that I'm wrong in my heart because I don't like this or I don't agree with that or I don't want to. See, there's all kinds of justifications if we're not careful. And David said, Lord, the way you uphold me is in my heart. I'm committed to doing what's right. Was he a perfect man? No. Did he have faults and flaws? Well, sure he did. Did he ultimately sin and in such a grievous way that uh, none of us can really process ultimately how God would forgive him of such heinous crimes? He not only sinned against God, but his criminal acts that he was a part of. Isn't that amazing? But ultimately God proved that David was his choice and his servant, and David did have a true heart for God because even though he erred in sin, God gave him a place of repentance, and God forgave him, though there was a consequence, God allowed him to stay on the throne. I think that's amazing. I think that shows how greater God's grace is than our sin, though it doesn't minimize our sin at all. But when you think about this, you think about how David was committed to God and in this matter that God would deal with those who were trying to work against whom God had established, that he just rested in that and was confident in that. As he declared in verse 13, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. His confidence was in the Lord. Now think about it. Do you have a friend or friendship that's breaking down? Why is it breaking down? May it not be on our end. May we not be the ones who are dishonest or disloyal or someone who is not dealing in truth or in good faith. May we not be the one who says, well, I found a fault and I'm going to use this fault to excuse my attitude or my actions or my inaction or my subversion in a matter. May we not be of that mind or that spirit. I think about friendships. I think about relationships, perhaps even at work. The Bible speaks of when we dishonor the order that God's established in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 1, we blaspheme the word of God. The word blaspheme means to vilify, to speak evil of, to defame God's word and God's order, to defame God himself when we don't honor that order. To be given instruction by someone that God has placed over you in authority and to ignore that or willingly go against that and do opposite, that's a form of betrayal. You have to see that. See, a lot of people think, well, it's just innocent. It's just an honest disagreement. It's just something that I don't really care to do, or it's something that I don't see the value of, and, and I just feel like we ought to do otherwise. Rather than talking that through, working it through, dealing with that in good faith, it's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. And they don't see it's a form of betrayal. Think of that. It's to undermine to work against instead of in unison, in sync with another. Are you honoring the order that God's established in your life? I think God's people for too long are filled with excuses as to why we're not obeying God. It's not my fault. 
See, I mean well. I'm the pure one. I'm the innocent one. See, what we don't see is our own self-righteousness because we elevate ourselves as though we're the authority and we're the one who is always right, never wrong, and everyone else should conform to us, to our standard, to who we are, to where we are, because we are the standard. That's where the Pharisees were. That's why they hung Jesus on the cross. He doesn't operate like we operate. He doesn't regard what we think or what we say. He's going his own way here, and we don't want this. We reject this out of hand. And they crucified him. Let me ask you tonight, who are you crucified in your heart because you don't like that person or you don't like something they've said or done? It may be a boss. It may be someone else in your life. It may be a mom or dad. It may be your husband. It may be your pastor. It may be anyone that you just don't appreciate something about for some reason. Now again, we all have our disagreements. We all have our thoughts and ideas, our opinions. But are we fully given to God? Do we have the spirit like, well, let's figure this out. Let's work through this. If we need to talk it through, pray it through, let's do this. Versus, no, I'm just going to go silent. I'm going to go quiet. I'm going to disappear from the radar. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to back up. Nobody's going to know anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to disengage. If you're not careful, that's a form of betrayal, and you don't even recognize it because you've got your reason. And it's not your fault. I'm not involved. I'm not serving the Lord where God's established me, but I've got a reason. And my reason will hold up at the judgment seat, I think. And I just ask you tonight, do you really think that? I've been working with people now for 41 and a half years as a preacher of the gospel. I've been at Shining Light for 32 years. I haven't learned everything, but I've learned a lot of things. And I've learned that we're all human. And we all have faults. And we all have shortcomings. We all have issues. And we've got to be careful putting ourselves in a position in our own mind thinking that others have issues but not me. Others can come short but not me. Others can be wrong but I cannot be wrong. I am not wrong in this. We better be careful there. Because if you have that spirit, God can never teach you. God can never correct you. I preached that recently. Are you teachable? To be teachable means that you're correctable. (laughs) That, hey, you're not thinking right. You're not seeing this the way you should. I think about friends. I think about uh, other relationships in life. I think about family members. If you recall Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible teaches of a husband and wife relationship. A husband's to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's an agape, loyal, devoted, sacrificial love that a husband has for a wife. To have and to hold. To love and to cherish. When you cherish someone, it's dear to your heart. It's a term of endearment. It's something that you place a high value upon, a high honor and respect A husband said to his wife, in accordance to his vows, that I will do what God commanded me to do. I will love you as Christ loved the church. 
I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll be there for you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. By God's help, I will do what is right by God and by you. The husband's commanded to do so. Then God commands the wife to show respect to the husband. That's a command. I read this interesting statement recently, and uh, some of you perhaps are familiar with a film that has been circulating, What is a Woman? Any of you have seen that? How many of you have seen that or heard about that? We're living today to where people can't even define what a woman is. Shocking, isn't it? But the same gentleman that posted that video, and, and, uh, and I've seen clips of it here or there, looking forward to watching the whole thing because our world, when you get away from God, see you lose your fixed point of reference and now they can't even give a clear definition of what a woman is. Amazing. But he's written some other works and this is a statement that he wrote recently as well. He said, a husband does not need to earn his wife's respect any more than a wife needs to earn her husband's love. Would you hear that and receive that? You earn my respect, and I just might give it to you. Can you imagine him saying, well, you earn my love, and I just might love you if you earn it. No, that's expected. That's understood. The love's going to be there, the provision, the protect. Isn't that right? Isn't that amazing what a contradiction that becomes? A wife ought to respect her husband because he is her husband, just as he ought to love and honor her because she is his wife. Your husband might not, quote, deserve it when you mock him, or he might deserve it when you mock him, berate him, belittle him, and nag him, but you don't marry someone in order to give them what they deserve. In marriage, you give them what you've promised. Think of that, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold. You promise this. This doesn't mean that a man has a license to be lazy, abusive, or uncaring. Precisely the opposite. He is challenged to live up to the respect of his wife, the respect his wife has for him. But if his wife parcels out her respect on a reward system, the husband will feel demoralized and empty. He will not feel at home in his home. He will not have the sense of masculine purpose and fulfillment that his family life ought to afford him. After a while, he will dread coming home at night preferring to remain at work where oftentimes his contributions are appreciated and his talents are admired. Now the marriage has entered a very dangerous place. If a man feels more like a man when he's away from his wife than, he's with, than when he's with her, disaster is right around the corner. The marriage is already half dead. It won't take much to finish it off. It's a form of betrayal. I promised that I would love you, or right, I'm going to be here, I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect, I'm going to take good care of you, I'm going to be loyal, devoted to you alone. Okay. Well, the wife promises, I'm going to love you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to respect you, I'm going to follow your lead. Your home is going to be your haven, your rest, the place where you feel most appreciated and empowered. And to do anything opposite than that is to betray one another. It's a form of betrayal. I made a promise, and I'm not keeping my promise. And it's your fault, by the way. If I've ever dealt with anything in all these years, that's something that still takes my breath away. People do wrong, and they blame other people for it. I might be wrong, 
But I'm wrong for a reason. And it's not my fault. You're the reason. It is your fault that I'm sinning. Now, that's just the truth. The way people live. Can you imagine, I thought about this. As I mentioned when they, they told in Acts chapter 6 about the widows being neglected, can you imagine them getting defensive and saying, well, some of you got more priorities and here we're trying to do the work of God and, and uh, we're going to deflect this or we're going to demonize you and just say, why don't you step you, you never lead people by demoralizing and demeaning people. You see? They say, well, let's figure this out. God loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? That's the way we ought to look at the challenges of life. Okay, well, what do we need to do to fix this, to figure it out? Don't be someone who says, it's not worth anything. I'll never uh, believe in you. I'll never have confidence in you. I'll never be a part of this. That's nothing but pride and self-righteousness. And when I hear people talk like that, it's often an indication that the one who is erring, whatever situation it may be, it may be a work situation, it may be a church situation, maybe a marriage or family situation, when you hear people talk like that, you normally know who is in the wrong and is fully convinced that they're not in the wrong. They're in the right. And I just ask you tonight, do you have a faithful, loyal, devoted spirit? Are you keeping the commitments you made, the promises you made to God, to each other in your marriage, to your children, to the church that God made you a part of? Or are you quick to just find fault, to discredit it, to kind of dismiss it and work against it and then somehow justify it as though I've done nothing wrong. That's what the Bible speaks of in the book of Proverbs. There is one that does wrong and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. What I did, I have reasons for. I'm okay with. And I just say, dear people, are we going to be okay with working against or undermining something that God in heaven has established? He established your marriage. He established your home. The devil's trying to do everything, and so is society to undermine it, to destroy it. Are you going to be partner with him or partner with God and build it instead. It's the same way in church. Are there flaws? Well, look around. Everyone sitting here tonight represents flawed individuals. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? But see, people of a faithful loving, loyal spirit, love each other, pray for each other, work through things, communicate, try to get beyond difficulties or even disagreements. They don't let that destroy them. They don't let that just kind of uh, settle in their heart and seethe there and then excuse them because they have an attitude or they're, they just don't get involved or they just don't want to be a part of it anymore. Like, that's beneath me now. I just say, be careful there. Be careful because the thing that you think that you're so high above and is beneath you, if you really saw it from God's perspective, it's the opposite oftentimes. 
God is trying to bless you. God is trying to give you an opportunity. God is trying to move your life forward. And you don't see it. You're blinded by pride or self-righteousness. And the next thing you know, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. And the devil will get the victory. I've learned this through the years. Anything that God establishes, any work that God does, he raises up a people who are willing to humble themselves, to follow him fully, and to pay the price. And they do it gladly because it's a good price to pay. And they do it by faith knowing that the reward will come. The reward one day will be greater. I remember hearing about Pastor Paul Chapel. Will, you were out there at West Coast for a time. Said years ago he met with his staff and said, God's put in my heart to lead this church to start a college. And here's what it's going to take to get this off the ground. And he said, but if we will pay the price up front, all of us, our children and grandchildren, will benefit. They will reap the blessing. All of us will reap the blessing if we'll commit now. And they committed. And the blessing has been realized for years on their behalf. Anything we do for God, it does have a cost. But let's just be honest. Anything we don't do for God has a cost. You see? So the price is going to have to be paid. You're going to have to choose the price you'll pay. The one that God calls us to pay or the one that we say, no, I'm going to pay this price instead. Which will always end up being the greater price. The greater loss. I want to have a faithful, loyal spirit. I want to be someone that's dealing with each other in good faith. And if we have something we have to work on or work through, let's do it by the grace of God. That's what mature people do. And we all agree with that, right? That's what mature people do. That's what people who are more like Christ do. I, I prayed all these years that this church would have that spirit deepened and developed more and more as we go. We wouldn't be proud and simple. We wouldn't be petty and, and uh, filled with schisms and groups and, and uh, you know, just trying to work against each other. No, you can't gain any ground like that. But I promise you, if you make it about yourself, you'll always be trying to undermine or put people down to elevate yourself, but you're going to have to see at a certain point that doesn't elevate you. That takes you so far beneath even where you are now. May God help you to see that. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that he may what? Exalt you in due time. You make it about the Lord. You make it about what's right. You be honest. You be forthright. You communicate. You work through things. You work with people. You follow the lead of the authority that God has placed over you to see the value and the wisdom of that and do it from your heart in good faith as unto the Lord. God will bless you in that. Anything less than that causes things to just over time to come apart at the seams. And we have to work together. And I'm just telling you, our children are in the balance. I've been working with people, as I mentioned, these years. I've gone to some people and said, I believe this is what we need to do in this matter. And they said, well, Pastor, we'll follow your lead. We know you love us and you're praying for us, and you, you'll help us with this. And we did, and we got through so many different things. I've had people who tell me, well, I'll follow your lead, 
And then when I prayed and sought the mind of God and told them what I believed that God led in, they didn't like or they didn't agree, and then they, they turned. I want to tell you, you can learn a lot about your character, your spirit, and your heart. As it's been said, you can learn a lot about someone when it comes to leadership. They can talk all day about how they love you and they're with you and they value you, they appreciate you. But where that will really be demonstrated or not is when you actually try to lead them. When you try to lead them, if they're like, I don't know, I don't like, I don't want, if that's their spirit, that love, that loyalty, not very deep. You see? You can tell a lot about someone's true heart and spirit as a leader when you simply try to do what God put you there to do. You try to lead them. Now this coming year, you're going to be faced with things. Whether you're here in this school, whether you're in some other school, whatever it may be, there's going to be leadership there. There's going to be uh, different layers, as it were. There's going to be the teachers. There's going to be the administration. Work with people in good faith. If they're trying to help you with your child, work with them. God has put them there to help watch for your soul even in that regard. Partner with them. Don't always try to, in your mind, cast them as the enemy or someone to be doubted or indicted in your heart. It may be that God put that teacher in your child's path to point out something to you that you don't see at home, that you need to see. And if you see it, you can not only commit it to God in prayer, but you can help deal with that in that child and bring him or her out of that or beyond that with their lives. It doesn't have to be in that setting. It may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be in some other setting. But respect those that God has placed over you. And don't make yourself the, the end all, the be all, the final authority in all matters who's got it all figured out. And if people will raise up to this standard of who I am and where I am, I just might listen to them. But the moment they are not all together what I want them to see, here's what you're saying. I'm not going to follow someone else's lead. As long as they will follow mine, we're good. Think about that, how reversed that is if we're not careful. Oh, yeah, I love... But I'm not going to follow your lead. Now, you're going to follow mine. And if you don't, there's going to be a price to pay. My heart goes out to homes that are dominated by that spirit. My heart goes out to churches that are dominated by that. Pastors who are so weary and discouraged in these days. My heart goes out to teachers who have parents like that with children in their class. They can do nothing right. Everything's wrong. And it's always just... Moms, can I say this? That mama bear spirit that God gave you is God-given to protect your children, right? But it has to be sanctified. If it's not sanctified, you'll end up protecting your children from people that God put in their path to help them and opening them up to people that are going to hurt them. And you don't even realize it. Some ladies are so zealous 
They feel like they got to protect their children from a good dad, a faithful dad. I'm not talking about somebody who, who you kind of have to draw a line. But somebody, oh, I got to protect, I got to protect them from the teacher. I got to protect. Now, what they're trying to say is that I, I'm going to protect my child at all costs from ever being held accountable or learning the valuable lesson of individual responsibility for the choices you make in your life. Mom, Dad, you can't be there for your children all their days. They have to learn to make good decisions based upon personal responsibility and accountability to God and to those who are over them in the Lord. That's but wisdom, is it not? That's the pathway to God's blessing for those children. If you think you're protecting those children and you're really not, you're actually hurting them, I talk oftentimes about this. If we're not careful, you talk about children. There's times when me and Rebecca would love to just move to the mountains and just be us and we live off the, uh, the range, as it were, you know? Just live off the, the ground, the fruit of the ground, and all this kind of stuff. Just us would take care of. See, some people that way, it's kind of like a, the sky's falling, and, uh, and, and I'm telling you what, uh, every evil person is out there, including my t child's teacher, you know, the Sunday school teacher, the pastor. L let me just tell you, be careful. Be careful. If in shielding your children, if you isolate them instead of insulating them, and we all have our challenges here. I understand that. But if you're not careful, either side of the road, where are you at? In the ditch, Right? And if they never learn how to deal with people, to interact with people, to work through disagreements with people, if they never learn that, if you say, but I don't want you to ever have to go through that, you're literally handicapping that child. And what you meant for good, I've got to protect you, I've got to protect you. I understand that, but it's got to be sanctified. It's got to be given to God. Because if you protect a child for so long, and I could give you stories tonight of people that were to the extreme. I mean, Larry, you know some I'm talking about. They would do things like still be running their bathwater when they were adults. That's how protective they were. You say, well, that's, that's just, you know what? They meant well. They sure loved. Loved that child. I know they did. Are you listening to me? If you want to make your child's world so easy, you're not really helping that child. They're going to have to learn how to deal with some disappointments. And at what level or what age, those are things you'll have to settle in your heart before the Lord. You are the parent, you see? But I'm just cautioning you and asking you to just make sure you're given to the Lord. Make sure you're given to the Lord. It's the same way across the board. I think about what God wants for these children in their future. Here's one thing I've learned. God doesn't spell out every scenario and say, if this happens, do this. Then this happens, do the other. No, he's given us principles. But he, one thing he definitely does is he keeps us coming back to him in prayer. Does he not? Oh, God, give me wisdom. Lord, what, what am I to do here? Lord, show me what to do. 
Lord, I don't know what to do. Here's the good news. God says, if you ask for my wisdom, I'll give it to you. And I just pray that God will help us to have a faithful, loyal spirit. The challenges are going to come. That is life. But let's try to do everything we can to get out in front of them, get ahead of them, deal with them even before they arise, if possible. But when they do, let's just deal with them in good faith as under the Lord, seeking a true resolve for the glory of God and the good of our children. And then let's just keep going and do what God's given us to do. Because this is his work. And we want to do all that he's given us in these days. And I'm with you. I'm for you. You have my heart fully. As I left hospice room number seven today, I thought, Lord, you've put me in a place to stand by people in their most vulnerable times of life. And Lord, I do it from my heart. Thank you for calling me to be a pastor and let me love people and remind them of your love when they're hurting. I'm thankful that God's let me serve him like this. People work is one of the greatest challenges. One of the greatest challenges. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing like it because everything in this world is going to be left behind one day. The only thing that's going to heaven is people. Let's give our lives to the Lord and let's do right by God and let's do right by each other. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.